Zipper rolls out to the right, pitches off to Taylor, and Taylor's to the 20. Down to the 15, down to the 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Billy Taylor scored a touchdown from 21 yards out. The crowd goes berserk. It was November 22nd, 1969 that they came to Barry, Michigan, all dressed in maize and blue. The words were said, the prayers were read, and everybody cried. But when they closed the coffin, there was someone else inside. Oh, they came to Barry, Michigan, but Michigan wasn't dead. And when the game was over, it was someone else instead. Eleven Michigan Wolverines put on the gloves of gray, and as the organ played the victors, they laid Woody Hayes away. Under center is Wangler at the 45. He goes back. He's looking for a receiver. He throws downfield to fire. Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. On our visitor's edition today, our guest is Notre Dame beat writer Carter Carls from the South Bend Tribune, NDInsider.com, and a contributor on the Pod of Gold podcast, so as you can see, he's a busy guy. A reminder that wherever you get your podcast from, please like us, leave a comment or rating, and let us know what we can do better or what you would like to hear on the show. You can also email me anytime with your maize and blue thoughts at the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. That's the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. Before our guest joins us, let's get it started as we always do with my view from Section 17. When you say Notre Dame around Michigan fans, you get a reaction. Oftentimes it's something like this. They need us on their schedule. We don't need them. Mention Michigan to some Notre Dame fans, and I've heard them call us arrogant, overrated, and many other things I won't repeat here. The point being, This rivalry elicits strong feelings on both sides. I come from a family where my dad was a diehard Irish fan. My grandfather had two brothers graduate from Notre Dame. Growing up Irish Catholic in Michigan, oftentimes people who meet you assume you are a Notre Dame fan, which was always amusing to me. The IHM nuns that taught me down at St. Charles School in Newport, Michigan, were all diehard Notre Dame fans and they prayed that those of us who were Wolverines or Spartans would eventually come to the light, and it never happened. But this game has always been special to me for those and many other reasons. I was there at the renewal of the series in 1978 when Bo took his team down to South Bend, and behind senior quarterback Ricky Leach earned a 28-14 come-from-behind victory. Now, the guy under center for Notre Dame was no slouch either, Joe Montana. I can still hear Bob Eufer's voice as the wind stopped in 1980, and Harry Oliver booted his 51-yard field goal to beat us in South Bend, 29-27. It sounded as if someone was carving Bob Eufer's heart out. He said the score three times before he got it right. Then there was the catch in 1991. I was sitting in the end zone on fourth down and a foot deep in Notre Dame territory. Gary Moeller made the call, Elvis Gerback pumped once, and through to the corner of the end zone were a streaking, double-covered Desmond Howard hauled in the game-winning touchdown. 
Then there was 2011, the original Under the Lights game, and that famous frenzied drive led by Denard Robinson, who found Roy Roundtree for the game winner as time expired. I've never heard it that loud in Michigan Stadium. There have been so many other great moments in this rivalry. This game means so much to so many people for so many reasons. It is a great rivalry. Sadly, after this Saturday night, it could be over, but I doubt it. It might take a few years, but I think the series will be renewed again at some point. Even Jim Harbaugh thinks it will and hopes it will. Joining us next on this week's Visitor's Edition is beat writer Carter Carls from the South Bend Tribune. Here on The Michigan Man, in partnership with our friends at SB Nation's Maze and Brew. on our visitors segment this week as we get ready for another game under the lights at the big house is Carter Carls who covers Notre Dame football for the South Bend Tribune also the Notre Dame Insider.com and can also be heard on the pod of gold podcast which is a as I mentioned to Carter is a really cool name for a podcast great to have you with us Carter thanks Mike appreciate you having me well, Carter, when we get ready for this game, and uh, if you've been around as long as I have, uh, I was there in 1978 when the series renewed, so I get sort of hung up on the stats. In 32 games since the renewal of the series, again in 1978, uh, Notre Dame leads 16 wins against 15 losses, and they have one tie. In those 32 years, this has to be the most evenly matched series during that time period in college football. Yeah, and, and this weekend's game, I saw Michigan was favored, and now it looks like Notre Dame might be favored by one. <laughs> yeah. And it's going back and forth every day, I guess. So, I mean, even this weekend's game is, you have no idea what's going to happen pretty even. So, uh, that's pretty cool, too. Well, and uh, I don't want to bore us with stats, but one that I find interesting is uh, also that the home team has won all eight games played at night and I think Michigan hopes that continues this week yeah I mean uh, I think Notre Dame has been preparing for the environment I know Georgia uh, in September was kind of a tough environment for Notre Dame had a lot of false starts and self-inflicted wounds uh, some, some penalties some problems with the the snap cadence so I know they spent the bye week this past week nailing down that snap cadence that silent count um, hoping that you know the environment's not going to be as uh, crazy as it was at Georgia. Uh, so I, th- I think they've been working toward that, but but we'll see how they handle it. Let's talk a minute about uh, head coach Brian Kelly, uh, if we could. Something interesting, another yep. stat that's interesting to me is he's the fifth coach to be on the job in Notre Dame's history for 10 years or more, which is sort of surprising to me. But he has done really an outstanding job in South Bend, hasn't he? He has. I mean, I think the turning point was that 2016 season. I know a lot of Notre Dame fans 
some Notre Dame fans wanted him gone after 2016, the four and eight mm-hmm. season. And I think really you saw a, a fundamental change. He, his players, the, the parents of players approached him, addressed kind of the things that he needed to change within the program. And he listened and, and he, he made the appropriate changes. And, and you've seen how it's played out. Went 10 and three, then 12 and one making the playoff last season. And, once again, has a top 10 team this year. So I believe he's won 26 of his last 31 games, I believe. So um, definitely the trajectory of the program, the recruiting trail has been uh, promising. So uh, he has made the appropriate changing changes, whereas, you know, for a little bit there, you felt like, ooh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what his future looks like, but, but the future looks promising under Kelly right now. Well, here in the state of Michigan, we've known about Brian Kelly for a long time because he was head coach at Grand Valley State yeah. over in uh, Allendale and went up to Central Michigan on the way to Cincinnati and then up to Notre Dame. So we've known about him for a long time, and you're right. He's sort of mellowed out a little bit. I think that was one of the things that yeah. uh, a lot of folks around Notre Dame were wanting him to notch it down a bit, but he is one intense guy, isn't he? I've covered Notre Dame for a little bit over a year now, mm-hmm. and I, I think I... I think I had the right perception of Kelly coming in the job. I, I knew him as this kind of hot-headed guy who, you know, he'd tear into his players. You'd see him on the sideline, red-faced, puffed up. Uh, but I haven't really seen that at all these last couple of years, and obviously winning will help that. But I really do think that he is way more composed now, um, way more relaxed. He does yoga once a week. <laughs> So um, I, I really do think that he has taken the right approach of, of mellowing out. It's, it's kind of helped his, replay, his players respond better to him. I think, I think that it allows him to coach better. So, I mean, yeah, he's still fiery. Uh, we, we've been to quite a few practices and have seen him tearing the players, but it is not like what it used to be. Well, this is the last scheduled meeting between these two rivals. Uh, Monday at his press conference, though, Jim said, Jim Harbaugh said there have been talks about signing up again for uh, uh, another, I don't know how many years, but have you heard anything in South Bend about that kind of talk? Yeah, I know my coworker Eric Hansen talked with uh, the athletic director, Drex Warbrick, about this uh, last November, and it's kind of tough because Notre Dame has to schedule so far in advance. They've got games in like 2036 already set up. So, you know, I, I think they'd want to, uh, but it's a matter of, of getting it on the schedule. I think it's it's a really difficult thing to do. I mean, uh, they'll, they'll schedule teams, they'll schedule home-at-homes like five years apart. I want to say Arkansas comes to Notre Dame Stadium next year, and then they don't come back to Arkansas until like 2025 so to schedule a home and home or a series it's it's kind of difficult i think you know the want to do it is there it's a matter of of scheduling conflict well this saturday the irish come to the big house with a five and one record the only loss was on that road game at uh, georgia and that was a very competitive game with what a lot of people think is the best one-loss team in college football, Carter. They, uh, the Irish played very well, didn't they? They did. You know, we, we didn't really know how they would come out because they were down a couple starters. Wide receiver Michael Young was out with a collarbone injury. Their starting running back, Jafar Armstrong, was out uh, with an abdominal in- injury. The linebackers looked pretty sh- shaky in game one. 
um, th- there was a lot of question marks about the team, um, but but they really answered the call. I thought um, I thought Ian Book made enough plays to win the game, but it, it just wasn't there. You know, it had it right at the end. Um, maybe he could have played one, made one or two more plays, but I thought for the most part they battled well. Um, they had a few self-inflicted wounds with penalties and especially on third down, but um, I thought their defense played well against Jake Fromm and um, their linebackers showed a lot of improvement and, and certainly their linebackers look entirely different than they did game one against Louisville. So, um, yeah, I think Georgia was kind of the wake-up call uh, heading into that game, I think a lot of Notre Dame media members thought, eh, maybe this is a 9-3 and team. But after that game, it started to be, okay, well, maybe 11-1 and is possible. So, um, And I think if, if Notre Dame's to beat Michigan this weekend, uh, Michigan's the best team left on Notre Dame's schedule. So if they win this game, they very well could go 11-1. and Well, the Irish, as we know, were 12-0 and last season, made it to the uh, the playoffs where they lost to national champion Clemson. Lost a boatload of talent to the NFL, and I know, again, they have that one loss to Georgia right now, but how would you compare this team to last year's uh, as far as the potential? Last year's team was a revelation defensively. You had an All-American corner in Julian Love. You had a defensive tackle in Jerry Tillery that was a first-round draft pick. And then you had two veteran linebackers, Drew Tranquil, Tevin Coney, uh, that that were really really good, um, and, and this year they've had to rely on on younger talent in, in certain areas. They also lost Miles Boykin, a wide receiver, in the third round. I think last year w- was full of surprises just because um, you know Ian Book didn't start the year as, as the starter. Their starting running back Dexter Williams was suspended the first four games, didn't play until game five, and he ended up being a lot better than people thought he would be. Um, and so this this year, similarly, uh, we didn't really know what we'd expect since there's a lot of young talent they're kind of relying upon. But I think kind of the theme of this year's team has been that, you know, I, I think we saw them shoot themselves in the foot a little bit against Georgia. But other than that, this has been a really clean team. They don't have a ton of penalties. They're extremely good in the red zone. I believe they're number one in the country in turnover margin. So um, they're not going to lose a game. If they lose a game, uh, like they're not going to lose a game because they had self-inflicted wounds. If they lose, it's going to be because the other team's better than them. So, um, yeah, I I, I like what uh, defensive coordinator Clark Lee has done at Notre Dame this year. I don't think Ian Book has played at the level that Irish fans – expected him to and maybe his expectations were pretty lofty but um i i think there's still a ways to go for ian book before he can you know uh declare for the nfl draft or anything like that and let's talk about some of the names on that notre dame offense that we're going to see in the big house uh, this saturday evening and, and, and going back to ian book for just a moment really developed last year I like what i saw from him granted i've only seen bits and pieces of notre dame this year but talk about his play and Maybe why people um, are a little bit disappointed so far? Yeah, Ian Book, I mean, with the way he played last year, didn't lose a game until the college football playoff against you know the national yeah. champion in Clemson. Yeah. That, when you have a, a start like he did, you expect a ton out of him, and especially at a place like Notre Dame. It's, it's almost 
college football playoff or, or bust at this point. And, um, and and he's never been the one to put up crazy numbers. Um, but I, I think he just has struggled with consistency at times this year. You know, he'll string together two or three really, really good drives. He'll go right down the field. And then there will be a quarter or a quarter and a half stretch where it's three and out city. And I think um, heading into the season, not, not a lot of people were expecting that. Um, this is an offense that has some good playmakers and Chase Claypool, Claypool and Cole Komet, the tight end. So, um, yeah, I, I think this is an offense that's capable of scoring 35-plus a game, but um, they just haven't kind of stringed together that consistency from Ian Book yet. The, the number one knock on Book is probably his deep ball. Um, I, I don't think I, – I think he has the arm strength to deliver the deep ball. It's just a matter of confidence. You've seen him have, you know, kind of happy feet in the pocket mm-hmm. where pressure won't be coming and, and he'll be uh, getting out of the pocket for no reason. So there's little things here and there, but I, I, I expect him to to continue to pr- progress. I don't, I don't think the uh, – Book is out on book, yeah. <laughs> pun intended. Well, the receiving core that he has to throw to has a really solid trio. A Chase Claypool, outstanding receiver, Chris Fink, and tight end Cole Komet. Very, very good group. Yep, yeah, I think Cole Komet has, uh, I guess you want to call him a surprise. Like, I think we saw him do this in the spring, uh, and then in early August, we knew what he was capable of, but he has really put it together. Uh, I think this might be a weaker tight end class as far as the NFL draft goes. And, man, if he's the number one tight end taken in this NFL draft in 2020, I would not be surprised. He He's really put it together. Um, I, I believe if, if he qualified for it, he'd be leading the country among tight ends and receptions per game. Um, so uh, he's just got a, a wide catch radius. He's one heck of an athlete. He can block. He can run routes. Uh, very nimble tight end. Uh, Chase Claypool, uh, it, it really took a while for him to, to get it all together, but he is just one heck of an athlete as an outside wide receiver. He can come down with the 50-50 balls. Um, and, and I think there, he, he still has more production to be had because uh, he hasn't really had the 100-yard game, game yet, and I think he's definitely capable of that. Um, but this offense, the way it's constructed is they, they kind of like to disperse the ball to a lot of different guys. So you're never really going to see these these gaudy numbers. But Chase Claypool, uh, definitely an NFL talent, and uh, the sky is the limit for him. Well, and this offense also likes to run the football. And I was watching the SC game a couple of weeks ago. Tony Jones Jr. looks uh, pretty darn good right now. That was surprising. I, I'll admit it. Um, you know, Jafar Armstrong was the number one back. He was uh, the best running back on the team, and I thought by a good margin. And, you know, Tony Jones, first few weeks, played all right, you know, uh, played well against Louisville, but, you know, never had the elite speed. I think with him, he's not the guy who's going to have 4-3 speed or anything like that, but he's just pretty good at everything. He can pass block. He can catch passes out of the backfield. He can run inside, outside the tackles. He's just kind of a do-it-all back. Um, Not elite speed, but but pretty good at everything else. And Notre Dame has really liked that. He's a veteran presence in the locker room. 
Uh, and I think adding Jafar Armstrong back in the mix, um, he played a little bit against USC, but I think they, they didn't want to give them a, him a huge workload uh, given that he had just come back from the abdominal injury. So I think it'll be interesting to see just how many carries Armstrong gets. Again, I, I think he's the most talented back out of the group, so maybe they go 50-50. I'm not sure. Maybe they ride the hot hand, but um, that kind of remains to be seen. But right now, they, they are really liking what they are seeing out of Tony Jones. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I, again, I had seen bits and pieces of him and then got to sit down and watch the SC game. And, and you're right, he is not the fastest, he's not the biggest. But the one thing, and you hear coaches talk about this all the time, vision. He really seems to see mm-hmm. the field uh, very, very well. Vision, uh, really the little things. He, he, Brian Kelly, every time you ask him about Tony Jones, his face lights up. <laughs> And he talks about all the little things. He says, he'll even admit, he'll say, Tony Jones does not run a 4-3, four-yard dash, but I would take 40 Tony Joneses on my team. That's the way he likes them. Because he just does everything uh, to the level that they like him to. And he doesn't make a ton of mistakes. So, yeah, I think um, it was a big loss not having Jafar Armstrong in the backfield he was a former wide receiver recruit that kind of moved to the running pack position mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and really showed a lot to the staff last year uh, when he played uh, as a reserve. And the, the thought was that they'd get both of these guys on the field at the same time because they're both versatile players. They could line up Jafar Armstrong in the slot. They could have both of them in the backfield, two back sets, um, really use uh, them in a lot of different ways make the offense a little bit more unpredictable and, and, and take, take, uh, you know, make some mismatches um, when, when having them as receivers. So uh, having both of these guys on the field, I'm interesting, interested to see how much Notre Dame does that. Um, again, I, my thought is they're, they're going to ride Jones more, but if Armstrong has a, shows them something early in the game you, you probably have to use him too because again he's got the most speed uh and he's the most capable all-around back in that backfield well over on the other side of the ball carter the defense uh, is led by two projected very high round picks in defensive ends uh, julian aquara and khalid kareem they're quite the tandem aren't they they are you know what was funny was uh one of my coworkers, tyler james did a uh, magazine story with Julian Aquara, and he set out his goal for this season, 18 and a half sacks. That, that was his goal, and that would have led last year's uh, group by a wide margin. And really to begin the year, I believe the first three games he didn't have a sack. People were thinking, oh, my goodness, this, this, this guy cursed himself saying that he's going to get 18 and a half sacks. Um, but he has really showed up these last couple games. Virginia, USC, Bowling Green. He's really showed up. So has Khalid Kareem. And this defensive line is finally playing at a level that people expected them to play. Um, I think the defensive tackles, Kurt Heinisch and Myron Tagovailoa Mosa, have played better than people thought they would. I think maybe the depth behind the defensive tackles has been the concern. But the depth behind the defensive ends is is crazy good. Uh, The defensive line coach, Mike Elson, has really recruited that position well and developed the talent well. And, and you see it in Aquara and, and Kareem. Aquara was not really a high-rated recruit, um, and 
he was really skinny out of high school. He he looked almost like a like a maybe a linebacker. I don't know, but uh, he's about 215 pounds. Maybe now he's up to 248. So um, special talent. Uh, definitely two guys that Michigan will have to account for. Brian Kelly, from what you hear and understand, is he fairly happy with the defensive play so far this year? I think so because. Uh, again, last year, you're asking them to replace a lot of good talent. Yeah. Julian Love, All-American. Jerry Tillery, first-round pick. Two linebackers that were special. <clears throat> and and they had to replace all that. And, again, the, the linebacker play was really bad uh, over the summer. Uh, in uh, August, they were sli- cycling through, like, nine different linebackers at – three spots. They had no idea who they were going to play. And they finally found three guys in Drew White, Asmar Bilal, and Jeremiah Lusikoromoa. They, they finally came together. Uh, the Louisville game w- was their roughest game, and, and now they've, they have come together. And I think that's been the big surprise for Brian Kelly is I don't think they really knew it was going to happen with the linebackers. Was this going to be a a rotation of sorts every game for the whole season. Um, it, it's certainly not at this point. They they have found their three guys, and so I think they're really pleased with with their play and um, their safeties are playing at a high level. Their cornerbacks are shaky at times, but I think collectively defense has exceeded expectations. Well, heading into this week's game, and I know you've been studying the matchups uh, all week uh, to see uh, how Notre Dame shapes up against Michigan. Do you have a, a good feel for how these two teams match up? It's interesting. The, really, the biggest matchup to me is how Notre Dame's offense is going to look against Don Brown and, and Michigan's defense. I know Michigan really challenges uh, opponents in terms of uh, man coverage on the outside, on the perimeter. And then, and then blitzing and giving these exotic looks. And uh, just I'm interested to see how Ian Book can handle that. Uh, I think Notre Dame's offense has really struggled at times this year with consistency. Um, there, again, there's times where they look really good, and there's other times where it's punt city. And so uh, I talked with Ian Book about this last night, and, and what he said is he, he thinks the game plan against Michigan is to basically – uh, take take shots. You, you gotta take advantage and exploit that aggressiveness through you know fitting the ball in the tight windows, uh, taking chances deep, um, and, and just really being aggressive. You know, match aggressiveness with aggressiveness. So uh, how Notre Dame's defense look or offense looks against Michigan's defense, I think is kind of the key here. Uh, Michigan's offense, I thought was it was interesting to see them kind of take a step up. Um, last week at, in the second half against Penn State. I, I overall really think this is going to be a defensive battle. Um, I think both both offenses will, will have, you know, these spans where it's three and out, three and out, three and out. Um, it just kind of seems like the theme for both teams at, at parts of this season. So I, I'm, I'm going to predict a b- defensive battle on this one. Well, Michigan fans know how big this game is for, for our season, but it is huge for Notre Dame, too, because the playoff chances still very much alive for the Fighting Irish, aren't they? It's interesting because I think the prevailing thought among Irish fans was, okay, Georgia's got to go undefeated. They've got to beat everybody. 
this one loss needs to look really good. Well, now that Georgia has lost, basically it's got a root for chaos at this point. <laughs> Notre Dame fans were even arguing last week, well, do they root for Penn State or do they root for Michigan? Like Notre Dame fans rooting for Michigan is, is kind of hilarious to me, but that was being talked about, that they have to root for all these crazy things to happen at this point. And I think it's a small chance, even if they go undefeated, but I know that even if they do win out here, um, they've got a great chance they will make a uh, New Year's Six Bowl at the very least, and Notre Dame hasn't won a New Year's Six Bowl, so uh, that would be quite an accomplishment under Brian Kelly uh, at the very least, and and certainly I I think they'd want to beat Michigan and, and win out, so uh, to see what would happen with those chances. But, yeah, it's it's basically team chaos at this point. Yeah. They're, they're rooting for everyone to lose. And you never know. Down this stretch, we might get chaos. Uh, the last couple of years, crazy oh, yeah. things have happened, so we'll see. But final question for you, Carter. As we are hearing all week, this rivalry has produced some of the best games in college football over the last 40 years. Now, I know you're new to the scene there in South Bend, but everyone's seen Notre Dame and Michigan wherever you are in the country um, at some point in their life. Do you have a moment or a game that sort of sticks out to you in this series as, wow, unforgettable? I'm going to go with last year's. I know that's kind of cheating, but (laughs) it was really memorable to me because, you know, it was my first game covering Notre Dame, and I wasn't sure what to expect. I, I grew up kind of in SEC country, so I'd always kind of seen those venues and had a high expectation for college football venues um and and Notre Dame you you hear all the time about how big time it is and 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 all that well I went to this first game and I really wasn't impressed and I think it was because they've got kind of a uh, sound isolated press box where a a soundproof press box where you you don't really hear the crowd as much but I didn't know this I I had no idea it's my first time here so (laughs) For all I know, the fans are just whispering the whole time. And uh, so I I really was kind of disappointed. And then when I came down on the field with five minutes left, they let you come on the field with five minutes left. It was a completely different story. Obviously, it was a one-possession game that that ended right at – that went right down to the wire. And that was the turning point for me, just seeing that final Michigan drive, how crazy the fans were. It it was – it blew it it just blew my mind because i'm thinking okay what what's wrong with the press box like (laughs) why why am i not hearing anything but it it was a lot of fun to see that with us today on our visitor segment has been uh, carter carls who covers notre dame football for the south bend tribune the notre dame insider.com and can also be heard on the pod of gold podcast carter i uh, appreciate you taking so much time to uh, to chat with us Enjoy your first trip to the big house, and uh, we hope to have you back again in the future. You bet, Mike. Can't wait. Quick Hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew.
on Quick Hits today, no real injury news to talk about, so let's roll into our game day notes. Michigan holds the all-time lead in this series with 24 wins against 18 losses, and there has been one tie. The first game in the series took place on November 11, 1887 in South Bend, an 8 to nothing Michigan win. Last year, we lost the season opener down in South Bend, 24-17. Brian Kelly is 65-34 and 34 in his 10 years as head man at Notre Dame. Last year, they were 12-1, losing to Clemson 30-3 in the playoffs. They ended the season ranked number 5. They are ranked number 8 heading into this week's game and are 5-1. and one. We all know how the weather changes around here, but this is what the weatherman says right now. Cloudy skies and light rain during the day with temps in the low to mid-50s. Temps will be in the upper 40s during the game with a 40% chance of occasional rain showers. So if you're headed to the big house, dress warm and bring your rain gear. So like you, I'm hoping the team we saw in the second half last week in Happy Valley is the team we see for four quarters this week against Notre Dame. If history in this series is any indication, we are in for a humdinger under the lights in the big house. We need this game. The team needs it to flip the script on the season. And we, the fans, young, old, and in between, need to feel that big house rock again and feel what it's like to win a big game on the big stage. That will do it for this week, though. Have a great Wolverine weekend, everyone. Enjoy the game and think victory beat Notre Dame. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Until we meet again, take care. And as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at the Michigan Man Podcast at Yahoo.com. That's the Michigan Man Podcast at Yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go blue.